Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Lucy. Um, I've been coming to the for about five, five and a half years now. Um, and I've spent, so the reason why I'm up here talking about this this evening is I've spent most of my career working on um, policy and legislation to try and help fight modern slavery uh, in the UK and abroad. Um, so I worked for a think tank for a number of years um, and wrote a report uh, looking at modern slavery. So I spent two years researching that um, and have been working kind of in various guises on this subject ever since. So, um, just a very brief roadmap of where we're going to go this evening. I'm not going to talk for too long. I'm aware that you're all in masks. Um, but uh, first half is going to be pretty sobering, so just a bit of a health warning. Um, but I just want to encourage you that there is also um, hope in this message. So, uh, kind of stay with me. Trust the process, uh, as they say. Um, so, yeah, it's, I guess it's easy to feel overwhelmed. I always find that statistic of 40 million people in slavery quite an overwhelming concept. Um, and I kind of think, like, short of giving money to IJM or supporting their work, what else can I do? Um, but actually, there is so much that we can do, and I'd just love us to spend a few minutes thinking about that. I'm actually going to focus on the issue of modern slavery in um, the clothing industry and the supply chains of the fashion industry. Um, we all wear clothes. It's kind of a legal requirement, I guess. Um, so uh, it's kind of a relevant thing for all of us. Um, but I wanted to start with just a little bit of theological context. I'm alongside my job, I'm currently studying at St. Malai's Testing Masters in Systematic Theology, which I love. I'm um, increasingly realizing that um, it genuinely is the answer to everything, this Christian malarkey. Um, so, uh, yeah, important to root ourselves in the biblical truths that kind of help us understand what's wrong with the world, as well as, of course, how to make it right. The answer is Jesus. Um, so, before the fall, in Genesis 1, people lived in perfect harmony with God and with each other and with creation. But then, as we know the story so well, uh, humankind decided to do its own thing. And the fall is drenched in this notion of humans going their own way, looking out for number one, becoming disconnected from God and from each other. It says in the Bible in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they hid once uh, after they had eaten the fruit of the tree, they hid from God. There was this disconnection. And part of the brokenness of our human condition since then is individualism. We've become disconnected from the world around us. The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther says that sin is the heart curved in upon itself. We live in a world full of disconnection. And nowhere is that more obvious than in the clothing industry, where apparently faceless people, who are often exploited, as we'll hear in a moment, make the things that we wear. And the structure of the industry just makes this really easy for us to ignore. There's a fundamental disconnection between those who make the clothes and us who buy them. So the shiny brands that you see on the high street, they distract us from what's really going on behind the scenes. And I had a, a quite direct experience of this a few years ago when I was looking to buy a wedding dress. Um, and of course, the whole narrative of a wedding dress is the most important dress as well. Um, and, um, and I was looking and I was going to all these old boutiques and I found the dress and I had the emotional moment and my mum cried. Um, and the Enya was playing in the background, just really up the emotion. This is on repeat. Um, and I said to the lady, oh, I love this dress, can you tell me where it was made? Um, and she said, oh, I don't know, actually. And I said, is this not your shop? She said, yeah, I just don't know where it came from. Kind of like a little bit suspicious. So I said, could you give me the name of the designer? So she did, and I um, couldn't find anything on their website about where their dresses were made. Um, and so I called head office, I called a few people, got put on hold a lot, and eventually got through to a buyer um, who said, yes, I can tell you where it was made. It was made in China. 
Um, and I've been there, I've been to the factory, and it's great, it's fine. Uh, the people there seem okay. And actually, they've even got a crash. I mean, you wouldn't put a British kid in there, but it's fine. And I thought, what on earth have you just said to me about this wedding dress that is supposed to be all about me and my day looking beautiful? And I was so convicted. I said no to the dress, did not say yes to the dress. Um, and, and found someone who would make it for me in the UK. The clothing industry is riddled with injustice. We can't ignore this fact. The business model itself is, is unjust. It's exploitative. It's structured in such a way that the most vulnerable and the poorest are the losers. Of the top 250 brands um, in the UK and across the world, they were recently surveyed, 95% of them don't pay their workers a living wage. The International Labour Organization, the ILO, estimates there are 6 million children in forced labour across the world. Last year, it didn't make the headlines that Zara was found to be using the forced labour of children. And when they had an unchecked audit, they hid those children in boxes on the roof of their factory in Morocco. We need to understand that we are buying into this. The speed of the fashion industry means that brands are cutting corners when it comes to safety and workers. It's just logical. It's now the norm to order and receive in under 24 hours. We expect that now. In fact, our culture believes it's our right to access clothing at that speed, which means that companies have to produce items faster and cheaper, and that saving has to come out of somewhere. And where is the place where you're gonna get the least pushback? Those at the bottom of the food chain. The last and the least in sweatshops across India and Bangladesh and China and even in the UK. Closer to home, you might have seen in the news, a recent outbreak of COVID in Leicester was traced to a garment factory where people were being exploited, forced to come to work in the middle of a pandemic, whilst the majority of us were at home learning how to make sourdough. This fashion industry is a system that directly led to this. The collapse of a garment industry on the 24th of a garment factory on the 24th of April 2013 in Bangladesh, and it killed 1,134 people. You know, we talk about kind of era-defining photos. That should be one of them. Brands that had clothes made by these victims included Benetton, Primark, Mango, and Inditex, which owns Zara. In fact. The way the investigators found out that those brands had been using these workers was because they found their clothing labels in the rubble, even though many of them deny using the factory. And one of the victims who survived was a woman called Rebea, and she said this, I did not want to go to work, but we were threatened by the owner that we would not get our salary if we didn't show up. A part of ceiling fell on me, and my legs were stuck between metal rods. A big wall fell on my chest, breaking my sternum. It took two hours to free myself from the trapped conditions. Sorry. Can we just look at that for a moment? And can we just pray?
this industry is full of exploitation. And as Christians, we have got to do something about it. Because as Christians, we know that the story doesn't end with disconnection. We know that the story of the gospel is the redemption through Jesus and his resurrection of all the things that got broken at the fall when people chose to pursue greed and selfishness. The call of the gospel is for reconnection. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, arrived on the scene preaching this extraordinary message of hope. The kingdom of God is near. And he didn't just say that. He told his followers that it was their job, our job, to usher it in. The message of the gospel is that every Christian is called to participate in the kingdom work that Jesus started, that will be finished when he returns, and justice is at the top of the agenda. It's part of our Jesus-given mandate. The Bible says, honor one another above yourselves. Love your neighbor. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And these verses, they're not just saying, be nice because Christians are nice people and you should do nice things. They're saying, my kingdom is on its way. And all these things I'm calling you to do are a foretaste of what it's going to look like when everything is made right again. You are part of it. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a process of our hearts being unclenched, our eyes being opened, not only to the injustice and brokenness around us, to the plight of every single one of those victims in Rana Plaza factory, but also to the kingdom reality that this world is not meant to look like this. And change is coming. Because I think this is the point. We look at these IJM videos and we see these images and we're kind of tempted to say that's just sort of the way things are. That's how the world works. But the Bible tells us different. It does not have to be this way. Exploitation is not inevitable. And I'm so guilty of that, of just looking at it and being like, well, it's just it's kind of a system. And that system is just the system that it's always been. That's nonsense. One of my friends who runs an ethical fashion brand said, no one ever changed the world by making people feel guilty. And I completely agree with that. And I don't want anyone to be sat here feeling condemned because condemnation is not of Jesus. But conviction is of the Holy Spirit. And one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that we're on this journey. I love this verse in Isaiah. Learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. Learn. It's not say, be an expert immediately and know exactly what to do at every situation. Learn. And my prayer tonight is that the Spirit convicts us to keep learning what it looks like to seek justice, particularly in the fashion industry and the way we choose to spend our money. But this stuff is not an optional extra for Christians. It is our calling. And the thing is that the decisions that we make, they bring us um, either closer to the justice that we've been called to bring by Jesus or take us further away. The things that we do in our day to day, the decisions we make, where we choose to spend our money, those things are not disconnected from our faith in Jesus. They either are decisions of justice or they're not. They are intricately connected with our faith. And so I guess the question that I often ask myself is, is my decision bringing me closer to that, to the kingdom vision, to Jesus' vision of what it's going to look like when he returns and all things are made right? Are we getting closer to that? Or am I playing a part in taking us further away? Am I, am I pressing into disconnection? 
And so it's a posture, it's a posture of seeking justice. And I know you've probably heard people talk of eco-anxiety, of people sort of paralyzed by the fear of what's going on with the environment. I don't want you to have that for this. And I can sometimes get overwhelmed. How do I live a fully ethical life and how do I not buy into this? Again, it's, I don't want that to be the message. I don't want you to feel trapped, condemned, guilty, paralyzed. It's how do we adopt a posture of justice because that is what we're called to do. So I just want to end with a couple of practical suggestions, tips, um, about how we can begin to make decisions, choices that are sort of angled towards justice. So we can pray, and we're going to do that in a moment. But also we can make the connection. We sort of don't really have an excuse not to know. The things that we wear are not made by faceless people or robots. They're made by our neighbor. And we have a role and um, a mandate to educate ourselves. So one way that you can do that is to watch this um, documentary, The True Cost. It's on Netflix. Um, perhaps maybe watch it in your life group. It's a documentary on the reality of the exploitation of the fast fashion industry. Um, but there's also plenty of information out there, including on this app which is called Good On You, and it's a brilliant app that basically does all of the research that probably none of us have time to do, looking at the transparency levels of major brands um, and what their policies are on labor. Um, they also look at animal welfare and the environment, which are also very important. Um, but it's so helpful. I mean, do be prepared to say goodbye to most of your favorite brands um, if you do want to shop ethically, because um, particularly on the high street, it's, they're few and far between. Um, but I, really, I highly recommend it to you, good on you, so do download that from the App Store. One other idea I had, which I actually would quite like it if somebody said something like this, um, is to ask celebs who endorse brands whether they know where these brands um, are being made. I don't know if you remember the, um, this is what a feminist looks like t-shirts, that sort of went round to the rounds around Westminster and around celebs, um, which is sort of, you know, everyone's feminist kind of message. But those t-shirts were made um, by whistles, actually, um, by women uh, who were paid 62p a day and were being exploited. I mean, the irony of that would be, would be funny if it wasn't so sickening. And similar with the Spice Girls sort of novelty, I want to be a Spice Girl t-shirt, also made by exploited women. And so I'd love to know whether any of these celebrities, these sort of influences, these people with a voice are asking those questions. And I think we should ask them. Little Mix, you know, they endorse Boohoo. They have a line of Boohoo. Boohoo um, had clothes made in that Leicester factory. Um, you can also use legislation. So as part of my work at the Centre for Social Justice, one of our recommendations in the report was for a new Modern Slavery Act, which was the first piece of kind of dedicated anti-slavery legislation since um, William Wilberforce's bill 200 years before. No one had actually made any kind of concerted effort to update it since. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that we demanded in that bill was the transparency and supply chains clause, which essentially completely relies on the consumer. Um, so it's a piece of legislation that asks uh, big companies and brands to disclose on their homepage, on their websites, this is the bottom of the John Lewis website, um, what efforts they're making to ensure that their supply chains are slave free. Um, but the only way we could get that legislation kind of through was because it had to be sort of soft touch because it was a conservative government, they didn't want to be out of business, blah, blah, blah. So we said, actually, what we want is just transparency. We want the consumer to be able to see and then ask questions and hold people to account. So this legislation is useless if consumers don't start to read, start to engage, and start to question. So do use that piece of legislation. Um, it should be, the legislation says that it should be on the homepage of every um, sort of major company in the UK. 
Um, and we can change our habits. And I think for me, um, after the Rana Plaza factory collapse, it was a kind of, um, that was a watershed moment. Um, and it felt like a real sacrifice actually to stop shopping as much um, until I realized it's really not a sacrifice. As, uh, con considering where sort of the scale of sacrifices, it really wasn't. It, you know, it might feel like it, but actually it's not. It's a tiny thing to do um, when the industry is this exploitative. So just buy less. I mean, um, my wonderful cousin Sophie sent me this picture, which says um, that the most, uh, should be one more slide, sorry. Um, the most sustainable garment is the one already in your wardrobe. This isn't like, don't go home and burn all your Zara clothes, but like, just, we do need way fewer clothes than we actually buy. Um, and charity shops, which are fantastic, particularly around here. I walked past Trinity Hospice this morning and it was like, lots of new Hugo Boss today. And I was like, where are we? It was crazy. So you can get some really great things in charity shops. So think about what you're buying, shop secondhand and shop less, um, because again, as I say, we're paying into this exploitative industry. So those are kind of um, some key tips. So yeah, make the connection, download good on you, ask questions of, of celebs, use that piece of legislation and change your shopping habits. Right. Um, I think we should pray. Connor, can I you um, I'm aware that that's a lot of information and um, I just want to give us a bit of space actually to, to pray. Um, so we're going to spend a bit of time in quiet um, and and then we're going to do a little activity, which I will let you know about. But um, perhaps now let's just take a moment. Let's invite the Spirit of God to convict us, to unfurl our hearts from that kind of curved in nature, to open our eyes to the injustice that is so prevalent in this industry. So why don't you just spend a moment with the Lord?